Hello, church, and welcome to the FUMC Borough Podcast. This week, Reverend Drew Shelley is bringing us a sermon entitled Fat Man Squeeze, and this is a fourth week of our Lenten series on the way to the cross, living a cross-shaped life. He's preaching out of Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. We do appreciate you joining us here on the podcast, and we also would love for you to join us on in person or online this coming Sunday at 8.30 a.m. for modern worship and 10.30 a.m. for traditional worship. Head on over to fumcm.org for more information about our safety protocols for joining us in person. We are glad that you have chosen to be in ministry with us here at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and pray that we can all live into our mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. Before we uh, consider what happens next in our worship and preaching series called Living a Cross-Shaped Life, Discipleship in the Eyes of Jesus, I want us to get our Way of a Disciple cards out. If you could find yours, I'm going to get mine out too. Uh, If you need one, just lift a hand. Miss Mary's got some in the back. Josh, Chrislyn can help uh, bring those around. Just raise a hand high if you need one. Uh, And I also wanted to say we have a second printing of these. They're a little bit thinner You may be having trouble with those fitting in your wallet. I I am, so I'm going to use one of the newer ones. Uh, I think it'll fit in here a little bit bit better. It's not because I have so much money in there. It's because I have so many receipts stuffed stuffed away in there. We look at the way of a disciple, and the first thing we think of is, why are we here and why is this important? And so we remember each week why we're here. Let's try to say that together again. We're here to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. We think about how to do this each time we look in this way of a disciple card. And one of the things that we find right at the top, one of the six elements of discipleship is loving God, loving God. We love God through worship and prayer, so many things that we do on Sunday and every single day. But one of the most crucial ways that we love God is to discern, to find and discern God's call on our lives. And I want to talk to you today about two folks who have discerned God's call on their lives and who are living into it. We mentioned last week that Zach Fisher and Chris Durham, two of our pastors, are going, but were going before the Board of Ordained Ministry as kind of a last hurdle in their journey toward ordination. And I want to give you a report on uh, the week that is now uh, done. Uh, Zach will be spending another year in the process and uh, will likely be ordained next year after going before the board another time. Uh, We're happy to celebrate with Chrysalin, who was approved and recommended for ordination as an elder in full connection. So let's praise God for that and give thanks for that good work. They both uh, had grueling interviews, and uh, I was privileged to sit with both of them for the follow-up to those interviews uh, when they heard the results, and I'm thankful to, to get to be a part of that and just encourage you to remember them both in your prayers 
as they uh, consider what comes next, uh, ordination for Chris Lynn and, and one more year in the process for Zach, which is not a bad thing. It's good for all of us, and uh, we'll learn and grow together through that. Let's pray together before we hear from Luke chapter 13. Oh God, we give you thanks for your love, for your call on our lives, and for how we are able to love you by living into that call. Strengthen each of us as we consider what that means. Give us a word today, Lord, if it be your will, that we might hear clearly through your scriptures and through your Holy Spirit what you say to us today. We open this book with glad hearts and trembling hands, knowing that what we find here in your word will change us and the world for the better forever. Grant that we might hear from you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're in Luke 13, verses 22 through, 20, uh, through 30 today. Let's hear the word of God. Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. When once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. In reply, he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. Then people will come from east and west, from north and south, and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. I remember so well going to seminary, expecting to find, just knowing I was going to find all the answers to all those tough religious questions that we have. You know what I'm talking about? I just knew I'd find all the answers there. I thought back then that the pastor had to know, had to be able to answer the tough questions of the people. Our own United Methodist Book of Discipline contains lots of tough questions that you'd better be able to answer as you think about becoming a pastor. It's a struggle, really, to figure it all out. Crystalline and Zach have just finished working on those questions, and there are many. I think there are about 60 questions over the course of three years that you have to work with. So I get to seminary, what now, 15 years ago, and I quickly discover, quickly discover that the answers aren't the struggle at all. <laughs> the struggle is getting to the right questions, getting to the right questions, and then learning to live with the mystery of God's grace, which extends far beyond our best questions or our best answers. The first semester of all that, I, I was just overwhelmed, absolutely overwhelmed. I went to see a friend and mentor, and he helped me so much. He said, I'll tell you what, this is what you, you could do. Keep a log 
of all those questions so you can see how the questions change as you grow and learn through this journey. And then bring those questions back to the scriptures every single day. The greatest advice anybody ever gave me, he said, you've got to read lots of books in seminary, lots and lots and lots of books. Make sure you read just as much scripture as you do books and keep bringing those fresh new questions back to the scripture and watch what God does to you. That was wise advice and I put it right to work and I'm still putting that wise advice to work today. One of those questions changed so very much the more I studied, even though I never have been able to answer the thing. You know what it is. You already know what it is. It's that old question, why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever asked that question before? You know about that question. Well, in time, that question became, why do good things happen to bad people? And then another question after that, why do bad things happen at all? And then, well, why doesn't God intervene and stop these bad things from happening every single time instead of just some of the time? And then finally, where is God? Where is God when all this bad stuff happens? Now, you bring all those questions back to the Scriptures over and over, especially that scene where Jesus is weeping at the tomb of his close friend Lazarus. You bring those questions back to that scene, especially at the cross where Jesus himself says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then you got Peter abandoning Jesus and all of the disciples running away while Jesus is in his darkest hour. You bring all of that back, bring those questions back to all of that. There's a lot, a lot to think about. I still cannot answer the questions But I had a tremendous moment of clarity sitting at the kitchen table of a family who had just experienced the tragic death and funeral of a a 12-year-old boy. I saw God that day in a casserole, (laughs) in a casserole, and in the wrinkled hands of the 80-year-old woman who had lost her little boy 60 years before, she brought that casserole. She sat at that table, took the lid off the casserole and whispered in the ear of that grieving mother. She said, honey, I am here and I'm not going anywhere. She said, we don't ever get over this. We don't ever get over this. We just go through it together. God is with us right now and it's okay to be mad at him. In fact, I think you ought to be a little mad at him right now. She said, we're just going to cry right now and we're going to eat this casserole, and I want you to know, honey, I put a whole lot of wine in this casserole, (laughs) nearly a whole bottle in the thing, just for you. Half an hour passed. There was crying. There was anger. And then at the end, there was just a little, little bit of laughter. And there was hope, the presence of God, right with us at that table. I learned something so real about God's presence and God's people in that interaction. I don't think I would have ever noticed any of that had I still been just angrily asking, why do bad things happen to good people? The questions change over time, don't they? They change a lot as we change. Here in Luke 13, someone asks Jesus an important question. Lord, will only a few be saved? Now, he's really doing that thing where you 
you uh, make a statement in the form of a question. Has anybody ever done that, to make a statement in the form of a question? That's what he's doing. He's saying, uh, Lord, isn't it true that only a few will be saved and that I am one of them? That's what this fellow is asking. It's the wrong question, and it is asked with the wrong spirit. Jesus recognizes that big time. So Jesus does what Jesus does and answers a different question, a much more important question. Verse 24, we hear the beginnings of the answer, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many will try to enter and not be able. For many will try to enter and not be able. I like how the message translation puts this, the way to life, the way to God is vigorous and requires your total attention. A lot of you, verses 24 and 25, a lot of you are going to assume that you'll sit down at God's salvation banquet just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood. <laughs> well, one day you're going to find yourselves banging on the door, locked out, and the master will say, I'm so sorry, you're not on my guest list. The narrow door, the narrow door. It makes us nervous, doesn't it? It's really something called a, a trope that was very well known in Jewish and early Christian circles. A trope is, is when you use a collection of words with other than their literal meaning. It's kind of a play on words to get at a deeper truth. We see it here, verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many will try to enter and not be able. Then verse 29, Jesus says, then people, all kinds of outsiders will come from east and west and north and south and will eat in the kingdom of God. You see the difference in those two verses? Is it narrow and few? Is it broad and many? Or is it somehow narrow and many? Lots to think about as Jesus answers a very different question than the one the man asks. Jesus continues, verses 26 and 27, he says, you'll protest all of this, but we've known you all our lives, only to be interrupted by his abrupt, your kind of knowing, your kind of knowing can hardly be called knowing at all. You don't know the first thing about me. My goodness, that's hard, but even harder, verses 28, 29, 30, the most challenging. You'll watch Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets march right into God's kingdom. You'll watch all these outsiders sit down at the feast of God's kingdom all the time. You will be outside looking in, wondering what in the world happened. This is the great reversal the last in line put at the head, and the so-called first ending up last. Now, this is the first of two great reversals Luke is so concerned about. The other is, of course, Jesus raised from the dead. But this one is the one where the religious people, those who really ought to know better, the religious people reject Jesus, so much so that the good news of God explodes into the world a world full of people who have no reason to know better. These are the people who accept the good news while the religious people stand in pious judgment over them. Jesus, the Son of God, is clear about where he will be standing on that day. He'll be standing with all those outsiders who have accepted that good news and thus been welcomed in. Somehow, 
this narrow door is neither the narrow and the few, nor the broad and the many. It is the narrow door and the many outsiders who are able to hear, accept, and live this gift of grace Jesus offers, often far better than we insiders who think we have it all figured out. So we wonder, what is the real question Jesus is answering here? Perhaps it is this. Who will not be included in the kingdom? Who will not be included? Those self-righteous people who think they have it all figured out, who reflect upon their lives and decide that they surely have earned a place in the kingdom. Those folks who have all the answers to all the questions, they will not be included. Those persons who have worked so hard to align themselves with the image of righteousness while neglecting the reality thereof, these will not be included Those who have shared a meal with Jesus and listened to Jesus' teaching for years but found no challenge or change or grace or compassion toward a broken humanity, they will not be included. Those who know all about Jesus, who know all about Jesus, but who don't know Jesus as Savior, friend, Lord, and bearer of God's grace turned loose on this world. These will likely all find themselves scratching at the door of God's kingdom, unable to get in, shocked and surprised at who is there with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the harsh harsh reality is, it will be too late, too, too late, I think Luke is telling us something very important. If your door is anything other than Jesus, you're trying to get in the wrong one. I think Luke is telling us that. And further, if you are still surprised and worried about who is sitting beside you at God's banquet table, (laughs) you may actually be on the outside looking in, worrying about that stuff. Now, What does all of this teach us about how we ought to be living in the world? It seems to me that a cross-shaped life ought to start with humility, perhaps above all else, humility. And then a true, real, tangible relationship with the living Jesus not just the image of Jesus. That takes daily time and effort, friends, and lots of good questions for which there are no easy answers. It is a whole lot like that casserole cooked in that wine. It comes to us in our darkest moments, the grace of God. Jesus cries with us, wrestles through the anger with us, laughs with us in time too inviting us into this thing God is doing in the world, loving it back to life one heart at a time. That's Jesus. That's the door. Nara is the door. Many are the ones sitting at God's table. Friends, I'm through being on the outside looking in. 
What about you? What about you? Oh God, we give you thanks for your word, for the challenge that it brings, for the trembling that we feel as we think about what it might mean to be on the outside looking in. We remember today that your invitation is to all of us, to the whole world. We accept that invitation in Jesus and rejoice that we get to walk with you, questions and all, celebrating, giving thanks for your grace and love and just being with you through it all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.